Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline, you can find all his work with Yahoo Sports. He is their senior NBA reporter and the author of a great deal of content here recently. Jake Fisher joins the show here. Hello, Jake. How you doing, man? What's going on? How are you? A lot of content, a lot of conversation that you have brought to the table for a lot of us that love the NBA. So, job well done. Well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We're uh, just trying to call around the league and bring as much context to what's happening beneath the surface as we can. Well, I'm glad we start out this way because I'm curious. It was a little bit more, you know, again, the Seinfeld reference is hot and heavy uh, regarding the rumor of Pascal Siakam last week and that of the Pacers. So a couple of things here. What ultimately do you think happens here and then how hot and heavy might the Pacers be involved in any level of conversation? with Toronto about Siakam? You know, just looking at the situation and recognizing that, you know, for whether I don't know if Pascal's people have directly called all these teams and said he doesn't want to come there like it seems like what's happening with Damian Lillard. But pretty much every team I've spoken to around the NBA is of the impression that Pascal Siakam only wants to sign an extension that he's eligible for this summer with the Toronto Raptors. Now, the Pacers, I think, are would be a far more intriguing situation for him. This is just me looking at the board. I don't want to speak for Pascal, but I have to imagine for someone, and for part of the reason why his maybe, let's say, less than an affinity for extending with Atlanta, that's been the other big – I mean, the Hawks have been the biggest team linked to him and have valued him for some time. They've got a Super Bowl dominant point guard in Trey Young, of course. Pascal has had a plenty of, you know, ball handling, rip the ball at the rebound, bring it up in transition. He's running pick and roll as the ball handler type stuff. I feel like in a team with Tyrese Halliburton and his ball moving connectivity, there might be greater opportunities for his willingness to re-sign with the Pacers if they were to make a deal. But at this point, I, I think the Pacers have just checked in on every single power forward that's presumably available on the league for the last two years. I, I don't know right now. I haven't gotten any, enough information to suggest that their interest in Pascal is anything more than that. Yeah, see, and that's that's what I think. And I don't know what your belief is about this, but I've said it all along, Jake, is I think the Pacers are in a spot to where yeah, you check in on it, but they're not in a position right now where I think you make that type of move. And that's not a defeatist attitude. That's just the reality of it. You go from 25 wins to 35 wins. We're going to expect 45 wins, I'm sure, if not plus, this coming year. We're going to raise the bar on it, but not as high as it would seem to be if you're actually going out there and trying to reel in Pascal Siakam for what could just be one year. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be worth – that's the big thing, the one year. If he isn't giving assurances or the idea or the impression, whatever word you want to use to avoid any tampering allegations, he's going to be happy to land wherever, Indiana or wherever, you know, he gets moved. 
Toronto is, uh, by all accounts, from every team I've spoken with, they are asking for very high valuations for all their players, dating back to two trade lines ago, maybe even three now at this point, before Kyle Lowry left in for agency. Um, and I just I think it'd be really challenging for a team like Indiana to give up whatever that asking price ends up being for Pascal without the idea that he's going to be there long-term. It's uh, Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports, senior NBA reporter via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. So if you had a thought right now to make, what do you think happens to Siakam? Where is he playing coming up at least uh, for the 23-24 the season, however long that might be? Where does he start the season yeah. in your estimation? My estimation right now would suggest that it's not Toronto, being that more than ever it seems like his marriage there has not been a happy one where he's been a staple of summer league all throughout his career. He's seen court size in the gym, practicing with teammates. He was not there this week in Las Vegas, and I, I do not believe that was a coincidence. I've heard that wasn't a coincidence. Um, so I don't know where he's going to go. I, Atlanta is the one that seems to make the most sense. I mean, if they've got pieces they could send, um, they've got a lot of salary that could match, and they've been the team all along that's been communicated to me as like the hottest on his tail, if you will. Um, but I, I can't like pinpoint them because they haven't gotten done to this point. I'm talking about this for you know, well over a month now. Um, so I, I don't know if it's going to be the Hawks, but there's definitely a strong sense around the league and among people in particular who – are familiar with Toronto and Siakam that he's probably not going to be back with the Raptors. Jake Fisher of Yahoo talks NBA on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So we'll start with TJ McConnell. And if you've heard anything about any other Pacers possibly on the move, uh, how much interest is there out there on the McConnell front that you have heard as of right now? Yeah. So the only thing I've heard on TJ has been this interest from the Phoenix Suns and you know, the Suns have plenty of scores. They've got plenty of scores who can score off the dribble. They don't have a point guard right now, a real starting level point guard right now, in the absence of sending out Chris Paul for Bradley Beal. And it does seem like Phoenix is looking to move on from campaign with the hope of finding someone a little bit better than him, but not someone who's going to be taking the ball out of the hands of their scorers. And that is someone like T.J. McConnell who – you look at the Pacers roster, I mean, he's definitely behind Tyrese Halliburton and uh, Aaron Nemhard on the bench. It's just, I wonder how, and people on the league are wondering how long he is for that situation if he is so buried on the bench and would have so much value in his own expiring contract. So um, I, I expect he, if he's not a big name to keep an eye on, uh at the trade deadline, if he isn't moved by then, I'd be surprised. Like, I don't want to start throwing, you know, the rumor mill into full action, say, T.J. McConnell on the trade block. I think this is right now more of a situation of teams calling about him than anything else. But I do think more and more teams will call, just being that he is a very good player, considered a very good locker room guy. But he does have some really strong connections to the front office that I also think would make it a little bit more challenging than the average player. Uh, to part with if you're the Pacers. Yeah, and I'm glad you phrased it that way, too, because besides T.J. McConnell, uh, are the Pacers getting calls on Buddy Heald right now, from what you know? I haven't heard a ton on Buddy. Just the thought that his salary would probably be a key outgoing piece if they were trying to go 
get someone with the salary figure of Pascal Siakam. Just looking at it, I mean, for adding a, a piece to that magnitude, you're not putting Miles Turner in the deal. The next highest salary after Miles Turner is Daniel Tice. And I would think that from like a, a trade value for sending out pieces to a team that's sending away a big a big caliber player, like you're probably wanting to get back if you're that other team, if you're Toronto or someone else. You're probably going to want to get back players who are either uh, impact players right now who can help you or guys who have retrade value. I wouldn't say Daniel Tice does. And below that list, all the other guys are all young prospects that – Indy wants to grow with Mather and Toppin in his trade forward. The number eight pick in the draft, Jarris Walker. Uh, I think that any big trade like that, it just pretty seems like an automatic thing that anybody healed salary going out. I'm going to double back with Jake Fisher of Yahoo. One one question and get back to yeah that Phoenix Pacers connection you'd mentioned you know, with McConnell we had talked about and a year ago this time and it lasted for all of about 90 minutes the restricted free agent the uh, the offer sheet uh, that was uh, signed here by DeAndre Ayton and then ultimately matched in Phoenix and they have him how actively if at all are they looking for another place for their big man. They definitely were before the draft. There was some talk with Dallas that I know about. I think they called up Portland again and wanted to see what their interest was. But I haven't heard of anything that's really made significant progress. And I don't think they're just going to move him to move him. The Suns are so limited in assets right now. They just traded two future first-round pick swaps to Memphis in order to get three second-round picks to be able to have some extra capital to juice a couple of deals here and there. So they're not just going to move one of their only like movable players just to move them. And they're, they're going to make sure just like the Lakers with Russell Westbrook a year ago, they're going to make sure that they don't just move him for something at cap savings or whatever. They want to make sure that they're going to get something of actual value back in return. All right, Damian Lillard, which is something that you, you cover like it is, a huge soap opera, continuously, Jake. Um, how do you think this ultimately gets resolved? I'm sorry, can you say that? How do you think this whole Damian there? Lillard situation with the trade Damn. request and all that is out there informationally, how do you think this ultimately gets resolved, Jake? You know, is there going to be a big staring contest, I think, between Portland and Miami and Dame? And, you know, the longer this situation drags out, Portland is certainly hoping that this could be a thing like Donovan Mitchell last year, where it was just between, you know, New York and Miami in theory, and then just New York, and then all of a sudden it dragged down so long, Cleveland decided, you know what, we've got the assets, we can make a play here, we can make this work. And Donovan sounds like he'd be at least amenable to coming here. Portland has to be hoping that the longer this thing stretches out, Dame's going to relent and that it's going to be not just Miami or bust. And that could potentially upgrade the talks and bring in more bidders and hopefully get a richer return from the Blazer side of things. But until that happens, this is going to be a, a Dame to Miami situation that I think it's ultimately resolved and it comes maybe, maybe even becomes a four team trade. It's going to have to at least be a three-team trade to reroute Tyler Hero somewhere else because he's not someone that the Blazers are keen on bringing back. But at this point, as long as Damian Lillard maintains and holds firm and draws a line in the sand that it's Miami or nothing, I think it's going to be Miami or nothing. Meaning, if it isn't Miami, I do think there's a chance, just like with James Harden in Philly, that Dane is back in Portland starting training camp next year.
You think James? Are you thinking right now that Harden is back back in Philly, or do you think the likelihood that he moves is what we're going to see? I mean, both Philly and Portland—they're puffing out their chest and standing tall and saying, "We don't have to trade you, and we're not going to unless we get a commensurate haul back, and we're willing to take this thing into training camp." So, I believe the Philly side of things more so than the Portland side of things because we've seen it. We saw it happen with Ben Simmons being that. Daryl Morey knew in his heart of hearts that he was going to be able to trade him for someone with James, like of James Harden's caliber come, you know, by the trade deadline. That's what happened. So, ironically, it's now Harden who they got in replace of Simmons, kind of pulling the same thing. A little bit different of a situation because Simmons had four years up on his deal and Harden's now expiring contract. Same thing with – similar to the Dane situation, but not with him. I, I'm wondering – as the longer this goes, will another team out of nowhere just say, you know what, we'll give Philly something that satisfies their wishes because we know that at least Harden's going to be an expiring deal and we can just kind of wipe our cap sheet clean. You know, if someone, if a team was, you know, if Chicago with Zach Levine, for example, wanted to get really aggressive and try to trade Zach for Harden just to kind of clear the books and get Levine's con- I That's not me reporting or having that conversation. I'm just kind of putting two and two together. That would make sense. Something like that or any team that's got long-term money on their books that wants to try to – I think they can help Philly get better now and help Joel Embiid compete for a title in the first year under Nick Nurse while also maybe you know cleaning up their own books as – the salary structure is just continuing to get higher and higher here. It's uh, Jake Fisher with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, any other names floating around out there that may be worthy of watching as we move forward, obviously past July and, you know, close in on the start of, of camps a couple of months from now? Yeah, I think Evan Forney is not a, a big name, but he's going to get traded at some point here. The Knicks want to trade him. He wants to get traded, and I am curious to see what he could do in a different environment where, you know, two years ago he was someone that Boston was trading for as, like, trade deadline reinforcements to compete for a championship. Will there be some team that can look at him and repurpose him as as a valuable shooter in that championship contending situation? Kind of similarly to how Duncan Robinson came back from the dead at $18 million in his salary to be one of the most important players for Miami in their, in their run to the finals last year. I, I think a team that ends up bringing Evan Fournier into the fold might end up very, very happy that they did that come you know the playoff time next year. He is uh, Jake Fisher. Jake L. Fisher on Twitter is where you can find his work. The senior NBA reporter, Yahoo Sports, with us via the uh, Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline at Ball Don't Lie as well. You can check out his work. There's a lot of it out there. You can follow him. A good follow for NBA trade news and such. Jake, I appreciate you more than you know, and we'll check in again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. It's uh, Jake Fisher right there, Yahoo Sports on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline from Setting the Pace. Alex Golden does join us. Good afternoon, Alex. How you doing? Hey, JMB. I'm doing good. How are you? Got your latest conversation with Derek Schultz, I see here. Yeah, that was uh, that was a very fun conversation. I always enjoy talking with Derek. Uh, everybody, everybody knows Derek. He does a great job just knowing the team, knowing the ins and outs of Indiana sports. So 
really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, you can set, check it out. His conversation with Setting the Pace is with our friend Derek Schultz most recently. All right. Um, your assessment on what we've seen, I explain Jess Walker this way. I, I think what he has done, he has, has shown us what we expected and certainly hoped to see uh, as you know a, a more formidable, certainly a rotational player as a rookie to be productive and to help out this team. What else did he show you so far over the course of Summer League? I just think one of the things that we didn't see as much as Houston as we saw now is just his ability to put the ball on the floor a little bit more, his ability to be defensive-minded all over the place. I feel like this is a very active guy, and he aggressively hunts rebounds, which I really like about him. I think that in the, the first game and the third game, we definitely saw him a little bit more active on the glass, and that was exciting. The three-point shot, obviously, it's a work in progress, which we kind of had a feeling that might be the case because he didn't shoot a ton at Houston, and he only shot 35% with few attempts. So, you know, this is a good opportunity for him to work on that shot and figure things out. But just the feel he has for the game, the ability to take the ball off the glass, bring it up the floor. And if you know Rick Carlisle and you listen to his post-game press conferences, he'll always talk about playing with fours. I don't think you're going to have to worry about that with Jairus Walker, uh, hardly at all, because I feel like he's played very forceful for most of the times, and that's that's great to hear because at 19 years old, he definitely looks uh, like he's ready to play right away. And, and he's got the body build for it, too, so I, I think – I've just been overall impressed with everything that he showcased. Ben Shepard, on the other hand, has been off, been on, been off, been on, which I, I think you can you know, probably understand is going to happen most of the time. Um, when it goes down, it looks good. When it doesn't, it has looked like a struggle. Again, much like anybody else. But what's been your thoughts on what you've seen from Ben Shepard during the summer league? Yeah, I kind of think all three games you have to look at them very differently because the first game I feel like he was trying to get his feet wet, trying to figure out what his role was going to be with, you know, a veteran heavy team in summer league for Nimhard and Mather being there for their second year and Isaiah Jackson being in the mix and then Jared. So he was kind of the fifth man in that game and really didn't get a chance to showcase much. The second game, I thought they looked for it a little bit more. I think Matherin had six assists in that game and uh, you could definitely tell that Shepard looked more comfortable out there. And then this game, he kind of becomes the go-to scorer on the perimeter, and he really struggled with that. And I think his best role is going to be what we saw that game Tuesday, uh, excuse me, Monday night. And that's where he can really showcase what he can do. I think he's better off ball, that kind of stuff. But defensively, I've been impressed overall, though. I feel like he's done a good job, uh, more switchable than I expected, but he's been able to switch on to bigger defenders. Did that quite a bit last night against the Thunder. So, just continuing to see him grow is exciting. But, you know, at the same time, this is why I think it's going to be hard for him to see minutes this season with the way the rotations go. He's going to be a guy that's going to be more of a work in progress. Uh, and I don't think he's nearly as ready as Jairus is. But I, they're going to try to get him some minutes, obviously, this year. Um, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be times when they want to get him a you know, three or four game stretch here and there. But I just feel like. He's a, he's a good player, but he's got a lot of work to do compared, compared to Jairus Walker, and that's the only bad thing about it. Uh, I just think Jairus is so much far ahead. Way too early to second guess, but I'll yeah. ask you anyway. And nobody's going to second guess about Jairus Walker. Any second guesses in the general vicinity in which the Pacers selected Ben Shepard for you? Yeah, it's tough. I was a big Leonard Miller guy. He's been playing pretty well in summer league. Um, that's That one does hurt a little bit. I also liked Gigi Jackson and taking a 
chance on him. I kind of knew the Pacers probably wouldn't go that route with that type of player that had so many red flags, so that didn't shock me. But like like one of the draft analysts we had come on our show said, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to take Leonard Miller after taking Jairus Walker. So I get the whole Ben Shepard thing. I think that he was a late draft riser. We'll see how it plays out. I'm not, Like you said, it's too early to write him off. But at pick 26, it's really hard to be that upset about a pick because it was so late in the first round. But I also thought Leonard Miller was a really a really good player that could develop into what they're trying to build. And, you know, Minnesota traded up to get him at like 33, I think, overall in the second round. And he's proven out. Uh, he's proven himself in summer league. So that might be one that stings a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think Ben Shepard will be okay because – we know this team loves three-point shooting, and they love defensive upside. It's uh, the Pacers Summer League team tagged with their first loss last night. I think back at it coming up tomorrow night, and now it's golden of setting the pace. Joins us to talk about that and more on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, who else maybe sticks out to you? Anybody stake their claim with a higher level of interest that maybe we weren't thinking about going in? I mean, if you look at the three guys that we saw last year play for the Pacers and then Isaiah Jackson, you know, he's been on the team for two years now. I was a little bit concerned with Isaiah Jackson's foul trouble. It's one of those things where, yeah, it's summer league, but he got 14 fouls in two games, and I'm thinking to myself, for a third-year guy, the amount of times he jumps to block shots and gets himself out of position is a little bit concerning, but the numbers that he put up were also uh, pretty good in terms of rebounds and points. So if he can just figure out the fouling, I think it'll be a lot better. Nimhard clearly showcased it. I think he was the best player in summer league for the Pacers so far. Um, I know Jairus Walker's been really impressive, but Nimhard is, to me, just a really good player and showcased that he could uh, at summer league. But I think he did it all season, too, just kind of showcased that he could be that guy that can run uh, a, a second unit full-time if that's what they asked him to do this year. But um, if we're looking at new guys, I, I definitely think Kimba Brown has played pretty solid coming off of the injury Guy, I feel like he travels every time he tries to put the ball on the floor and be a creator. But if he's catching and shooting and he's flashing and he's playing defense, then yes, I think that that's that's where he can really thrive. Isaiah Wong, rough first game. The last two games have been pretty good. And I think Oscar Shibway, you know, this guy rebounds the basketball, does the dirty work. I think they've got some interesting players that, you know, it might be worth the travel to Noblesville to watch him play this year. I think Shibway going to be able to carve – any NBA level spot out, and I, I, I use it in terms of the Pacers need all the rebounding they can get. But I, I think what we have seen, and and I, I I'm still interested, and there's still room to grow. But I think we have seen the reason why he went undrafted, have we not? To this point, and, and has been so heralded collegiately speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I think Oscar is uh, a good college player. But even in college, you kind of saw some of his weaknesses. I don't. I think he kind of knows who he is. But you know, the guy was a national player of the year. It doesn't hurt to take a flyer on him on a two-way contract. Let him see what he can do with some development. I just, I don't know if he's going to be able to be a good enough defender and do enough. He doesn't do enough offensively either, besides rebounding and scoring points to the basket, to to be a major factor in the NBA. But. You never want to write a guy off. He's got good work ethic, that's for sure. And he kind of knows what his role is. That's always a big thing if you can accept your role and thrive in what you do well. So, but yeah, I, I definitely think he's going to be a G League kind of guy who maybe can play overseas. I think that there's definitely a path for him there. But 
in the NBA, it's tough, and there's only going to get more talent as we see more draft classes come in, and I just don't think he'll be one that can really stick around. Alex, you mentioned the G League team moving to Noblesville. The Pacers sports entertainment expectations that they will draw considerably more with having it in a centralized location in Noblesville like that. Is that their thought, and do you believe that will occur? Yeah, I don't really know if they think it's going to help their attendance because I think it was pretty beloved in Fort Wayne. I just think that it's a little bit easier travel-wise for players to drive to Noblesville compared to driving all the way to Fort Wayne. I think it's more so the convenience of that. Um, I don't even think they're actually playing this year. I think they're still building that facility, so I could have been mistaken by saying I'll travel this. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I think, yeah, they're, they're, they're still building playing it. At the, yeah, I think they're playing at the, uh, the field house this year, so uh, I misspoke on that, but it's, you know, I, I think that it will have a little bit more interest. I mean, someone that lives locally, I will definitely probably attend at least one or two games where I didn't go to any in Fort Wayne. Um, so uh, there could be a little bit more local appeal, but at the same time, I, it's, it's the G League. I just don't know if it's ever going to take off like they, like they probably wanted to. But give it time, and you get enough good players, and, like, you get Oscar Sheeway, that's a Kentucky guy. Got a lot of Kentucky fans here in Indiana, unfortunately. So uh, they'll yeah. be flooding probably to watch him play. And we always see that when there's a, like a Devin Booker return from like that. A lot of Kentucky jerseys in the building at, at Bankers Life. It's, wow. I'm all over the place. Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Man, I can't remember their name. Uh, for the life of me there. Uh, but, but that's how it always is when you, when you see Kentucky players. So that probably will be a little bit of a draw. It's uh, Alex Golden here of setting the pace via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How much of a, a belief do you have or have you had regarding the Pacer interest, especially going back to last week when you get a guy like Mark Stein that presents it? And Mark Stein, much like you have, I mean, you were absolutely all over Bruce Brown. You were the first to hit that a couple of weeks ago coming up on Friday. But a guy like uh, Mark Stein who dropped that, nugget in regarding Pascal Siakam. Were you a believer in a lot of Pacers' interest, or is it just you think them feeling around basically every situation in general that occurs in the NBA like that? Yeah, I think the Pacers were pretty adamant about wanting to make a splashy move this offseason. And, you know, we talked to Derek Schultz about this on our podcast, and you know, he said that he felt like the Pacers were wanting to hit more of a home run than what they probably did. But what they did this offseason was still good. But, yeah, they didn't make that big, splashy move. And I think Pascal instantly raises the floor and the ceiling of what this team can do in the playoffs. I think he's a very good player that fits. And I think the Pacers did call and, and see what the asking price would be. I'm not sitting here saying that I know anything insider. I mean, Mark Stein's been all over this. And I think Michael Grange as well has been reporting on this. And they've brought up some really good points. Like, it makes a lot of sense. The Pacers probably would rather use the assets that they have in terms of picks versus their young core. I, I would be very nervous if I'm the Pacers treating one of Jairus Walker, Andrew Nimhart, or Benedict Matherin to acquire Pascal Siakam on an expiring deal. So I don't think they would do that. But I think the Raptors have just really handled this whole thing poorly. And if you go back and look at the team that won the title in Toronto, I believe besides the Kyle Lowry signing trade in Miami, they've lost every single player that was a part of that core for nothing. And if they don't watch themselves, I think they could really upset Pascal because I do know that Jake Fisher is on and it has been reported that Pascal doesn't want to sign an extension anywhere else. But if there's a reason he didn't come to summer league and this marriage has gone bad a little bit, why would he resign a contract extension with them unless it's all about the money? I think that there's going to be some – 
you know, feathers ruffled there with Pascal. And Jake Fisher even said that he didn't think that he would be able to start the year. And then OG and has got a playoff. And I mean, they literally could lose everybody and that's been a part of that core for pretty much nothing because I think they've handled how they've uh, valued players. So the Pacers have to be very smart to, to not give up too much in a trade for Pascal. But I think at this point, just the timeline of the ages, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think the Pacers want to win now. Tyrese Halliburton wants to win now. The goal is to make the playoffs. But at the end of the day, you also have to look long-term while you're trying to win now. And if you're going to give up a very valuable asset or, po- or possibly multiple assets to get a guy like Pascal, you have to be sure that he's going to be here past this season. And if he's not, then I think it's a no deal and you just move on and try to find something else. I think they've already got a, enough talent right now based off the offseason at the four position by drafting Jairus Walker and they're taking a flyer on a guy like Obi Toppin for just two second round picks. Hey, Alex, you mentioned to Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports, their NBA senior writer was on with me a little bit earlier and he was the one that has been mentioning recently the Phoenix interest in TJ McConnell and I know that the core members of the Pacers were front and center. TJ wasn't. He's not a core team wise I think he's a core member um, I don't know how anybody views him as a, a core member with that group so if example if he showed up you would view him as a core member if he wasn't there it does make you wonder a little bit more you think there's anything behind that whatsoever what he believes is going to be either here or someplace else with him not being there I don't happen to think that it is but do you no, I don't think so. I don't really don't think it matters if you're a part of the core or not if you're there. Like, I'm not trying to be mean, but Jordan Moore was there as well. I don't think he. No, you're right. You're right. Well, I mean, and so, Obi Toppin hadn't been a part of the core yet. So, I mean, no, yes, no. and he was there. So, I just I yeah. saw a lot of people, Alex, alluding to that possibility. Well, T.J. McConnell wasn't there because he knows the inevitable is coming. He's going to be someplace else. He may end up being someplace else, but I don't think that was the reason why he wasn't there. No, and I honestly can't remember if TJ was even there last year. I don't feel like he was, but that's just me going up, up my memory. I don't know if he always goes out there or not to Las Vegas. So that could be just people trying to read into something that's not really there, which happens all the time, especially on social media. We see speculation after speculation based on something that happens. And TJ is not a social media guy either. But, yeah, I, I would just say this. I, I think that if TJ is not going to be here next year, uh, it's probably a mutual agreement between the two, JMV to move off of him. And I, I don't think that it's going to be this long, ugly drag out thing that some people might think. I don't think he really sees the writing on the wall. I think there's probably an opportunity for him to still be a part of this team if he takes a different role. But if he still feels like he has a lot left to give, I think the Pacers are going to do what's best and try to find a right landing spot for him. And a team like Phoenix would make a ton of sense because you want to take care of your players that you have here that you really value. And so if they do move on, Somewhere like a Phoenix makes a ton of sense because he can get playing time and you're giving him a good opportunity to win something. Yeah, they need players. There's no doubt about that, too. It's, the whole Aiton yeah. thing makes me laugh still, though. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You get yeah, new yeah. ownership in there. You get a uh, new head coach in there. Get new uh, basically everything, I guess, but uh, you know some players and, and James Jones and you know, you got to deal with Aiden. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. if I'm Chad Buchanan and, and Kevin Pritchard, I uh, I say, you know, we were just kind of screwing with stuff right here. I, I would say that that was going to be our move all the time. We just wanted to force the hand of Phoenix, even if it had really no reason to be doing it. I'd say it. Yeah, I mean, that's probably not the greatest uh, no. business. No. Front to come out no. With, but- 
No, you know, yeah. um, I, I, that's why I told Chad Buchanan that was he kind of half-assed, serious, and joking. I said, aren't you glad that um, you guys were saved by Phoenix <laughs> matching your offer? <laughs> and yeah. you know, he got a he got a kick out of it. Actually, he sent me a Miles Turner jersey because I mentioned that to him, which made me laugh yeah, too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's fun. Well, I will say this: the the only benefit they probably got out of doing that eight and signing was one. Yeah, uh, they kept their cap space free, and so they could do the renegotiation with Miles. And I think it also motivated Miles. I think at the end of the day, Miles kind of seeing that probably gave him a little bit of a uh, you know one of those things where he's like, I just feel extra motivated now to prove my worth to this team. You guys wanted to move off of me for DeAndre. Well, I'm going to show you why that was a bad idea. So I, I think that it definitely worked in terms of motivating miles even more. If he needed any more motivation. It's uh, Alex golden setting the pace. His latest conversation podcast wise is with friend of this show, Derek Schultz. All right, man, I appreciate you. You think the Pacers are done right now? Or you think they got some moves ahead of them here? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be anything sexy, but I definitely think they still have to kind of figure out the depth chart of this roster a little bit. I'm keeping my eyes very closely attached to George Hill if they decide to bring him back. That's not something they have to make a decision on probably until closer to training camp. So um, I would just keep an eye on that because four centers right now on the roster, that's probably one too many. Who's the odd man out? Is there going to be a trade that makes sense? You know, the McConnell stuff, I can kind of understand why a trade would make sense there, but it's it's going to be interesting. I think they have to make one more roster move, though, because I think having a veteran like George Hill would be huge for this team. And I think last year they, you know, they emphasized how important James Johnson and George Hill were to the culture of this locker room. If you let both those guys walk and don't really kind of – fill that void. Yeah. I think that it does it's not problematic because I think this is a good this is a good group of guys, but I also think it just kinda helps build the right team morale that you want. So I, I'm expecting George Hill to be on the roster by the by the start of the season. I just don't know how they're gonna get there. So uh, Alex Golden setting the pace latest with Derek Schultz. Alex, I appreciate you man. Have a great weekend, okay? All right, JMB, thank you so much. And you get really good high school players uh, blowing out of town for other opportunities. Joining us to talk about that and more from the Indianapolis Star, the uh, fantastic high school beat writer and then some Kyle Neddenrip joins us. Hello, Kyle. How are you? Hello, John. Can I request a Bell Bib DeVoe poison? You got that right. <laughs> Would you rather, honestly, did you, did you say poison because you wanted to hear that more or because you didn't want to request do me? That's true. I mean, it's 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 one or the other. Yeah. But, uh, See, and I, I think sometimes people stay away from do me because it it's do me, right? Yeah, I, you just don't want to say it, right? Yeah, so, but I, I think yeah. it's still it, it's it's like poison's played all the time, but I think people stay away from do me because of that. So yeah, yeah do people me. People sleep on. People sleep on it. No, no doubt. No doubt <laughs> about that. And speaking of that, you did some some stories a couple regarding the uh, dizzy runs put on by Kyle Guy up at Mojo up in in Noblesville. It looked like you had a great time. Now my phone didn't ring. Did your phone ring about being a part of this these pickup games? No, my phone only rang to come uh, and cover it, which I'm glad it did because it was uh, it was a blast. Uh, right. I didn't, you know, I, I kind of went up there not knowing, you know, I hadn't been up there to it before, but uh, it's such a cool thing. I mean, it's almost like a throwback to uh, 
to the old days of just pickup basketball and, you know, seeing a lot, you know, obviously covered a lot of those guys who were playing in it. So, you know, catching up with them, I was like, man, I walked out of there feeling like, you know, kind of rejuvenated. It was like uh, super cool to catch up with everybody. And then uh, I was like, you know, I had to write, you know, just talk to these guys about what, uh, you know, they might tell their former selves, their high school selves and what they've learned. You know, all those guys are still playing professionally in some form or fashion or just coming out of college or even yep. some of them are even in college or high school. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was so fun. And, you know, just sitting there talking to guys like Aaron Henry or, uh, you know, Deshaun Francis or Joey Bronk. I mean, it's just, this is a lot of fun. I just really enjoyed it. And uh, I definitely recommend it. If you like basketball, it's definitely a, a place to go watch some good hoops. I know Ryan Weber was up there too, playing for Ron Colley, I believe, right? Yeah, I talked to Ryan for quite a while. Just yeah. sat there uh, catching up with him. And, uh, you know, he's a guy who got out of the game for a couple of years. He was working a, you know, nine to five finance job and then uh, he decided to get back into it. Now I think he's going on his, you know, fifth or sixth year of playing uh, professionally, um, you know, overseas. So uh, super cool. You know, he's, he's, I think, you know, he may have a future in basketball somewhere as a, as a trainer or whatever he wants to do or a coach or whatever. So yeah, basketball, obviously there's a lot, you know, the ball always stops bouncing for all of us at some point, or maybe not you, you still play, but you know, but there's always different avenues, you know, to get into, you know, within the sport. And, you know, I know a lot of these guys will end up going that route someday and 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 hopefully you know, i saw deshaun francis you know he's like yeah i'd love to have my own team some you know my own uh you know my own facility and then start up my own team and have my name on a on a on jersey somewhere so i think that's it's cool those guys get back and in, in uh in the ways that they do i i love it because and I, i've said this to max landis before who i don't even know how many years he's been overseas now it may be even close to 10 but certainly a mm-hmm. number of those playing in portugal he gets to in a close. His dad, his dad and I are really good friends, and I. He gets paid to do what his dad and I love to do. I mean, he mm-hmm. gets paid. He gets paid a salary, room and board. You know, kids get to go to schools over there, uh, English speaking schools. I mean, everything is taken care of, and he gets to play basketball. So don't don't start. The other aspects of your career, you know, like you mentioned with Ryan Weber doing finance, the finance stuff can work. Play basketball and get paid for it as long as you stink and can. That's everybody's dream, or at least every basketball fan's dream. Well, that's one thing, uh, you know, I talked to those guys. That's, uh, you know, that's exactly what Ryan told me. You know, he's like, he was working out. He was he was working his nine-to-five job, but he was getting up each morning, and he was working out uh, with the trainer, uh, Taylor Weyer, actually, and then he was doing stuff at night. And he's like, and even then he was playing in games with, uh, you know, with guys like just pickup games, and, and like like uh, Taylor Persons from Kokomo is a good friend of his, and they were playing, and he's, he's kind of like, why am I not you know, I'm doing all this stuff that I'm not uh, getting paid for it, you know, and then trying to play. And so that's what kind of triggered him to come back. So that's definitely true. I mean, if you can, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you have to maximize what you can and you've got this ability and the skill that not everybody has, but it, it only lasts so long. You know, you can't, you can't just do this when you're 50 and get paid for it. So you're absolutely right. I think that's uh you know, and, and it opens up other doors for you too. I mean, the, the more contacts you make and the more places you go, um, you know, you're, you're opening other doors that you may not even know are there. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, to that extent, it was just like, you know, I, I cover a lot of these guys in high school and then, you know, you keep in touch with some and some not, but it's like, you know, it, it's just fun to, 
it's fun to be out there and, and uh, you know, kind of reconnect with some of those guys who, you know, they're might, they might be a little older or a little, little, uh, maybe not as quick as they once were, but, uh, but they've managed to, you know, have a, uh, and a guy like Aaron Henry, you know, he's trying to get back to NBA, you know, he's 23 and he's trying to get back to NBA and he played with, uh, Victor, uh, one beyond me last year. So, you know, he, that was cool to talk to him about that too. And, uh, you know, so there's just a lot of, a lot of fun, uh, no stuff. Yeah, I th- appreciate you saying that. It's a, it's a fun story to write. No, no, it was good too. No, a lot of those guys that that we have talked about uh, for a variety of reasons over the years, and it's cool to see them come together. I think about Kyle Guy from this standpoint. I mean, you get up to the free throw line and you knock down three to tie like that in the final four mm-hmm. setting. That that still is absolutely incredible to me. I think I would like have that like on my back on a video player wherever I went showing that. <laughs> I mean that is the that may be one of the most incredible things that we have seen, and we should talk about more. Absolutely, and uh, you know, and you knew when it's him, it's like oh, he's got he's got ice in his veins, you know. It's a, but but who does? You know, that's such a unique moment and in uh, in, a, in a point in time where it's like who knows what's what? You know, it's, it's kind of one of those roll of the dice things. But, Can you imagine you know, how we? I'd have crapped right down my leg. Uh, I think Already. I would have airballed the first one and then it would have been over. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, but he's, he's that type of person. And, yeah. and uh, credit to him, too, for, for doing a lot, organizing a lot of this stuff around the city and, and with basketball. And he's always been that type of guy to, to, to pour into, you know, where he's from. And, you know, I know a lot of, uh, you know, kids look up to him now who, uh, you know, he's going around to different schools and, and uh, doing camps. And, um, you know, I know he had, uh, uh, Jimon Henson and Kobe Webster with them, kind of going around and helping out uh, to 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 do some uh, drills and training and stuff like that at different schools. And you know that's super cool too. You know because uh, you know we may know those guys, but this younger generation, you know, they may not. So it's it's good to put a face with the with the with the name and uh you know kyle's obviously done that really well and uh, he's actually one of the guys i didn't get a chance to catch up with him i wish i would have so i uh, hope uh he's doing well and i'll uh, try to get back out there and touch base with him it's uh kyle nedrip the star with us via the andy moore automotive group pipeline uh the headline today and i'm curious if you thought this was going to happen which i would guess would somewhat significantly change the 4a landscape at the very top with cannon catchings going from brownsburg now and heading to atlanta i believe it is with overtime elite was that something you thought could have the opportunity of taking place yeah, I mean there was some uh, definitely some talk about it, and then uh, you know Cannon came back and uh, played with uh, his high school team through June, and I know there was there's kind of hope that you know that would you know to continue and, and go on, but that was kind of always out there. Uh, I talked to his mom this morning, and and you know we were just talking. She you know in the story she's quoted pretty significant significantly uh kind of about this process and uh you know kind of the the difficulty in making this decision and you know she said there you know and i think this is probably the reality for most top 100 kids or you know he's ranked even higher than that top 20 uh kids in the country but there are so many doors that are open as far as prep schools and and the overtime elite's not necessarily a prep school it's kind of a a league uh, more than a uh, a prep school. Does Damian Wilkins run that? Um, I yeah, I know. Um, uh, Corey Frazier is kind of their the, okay. the coach trainer. Um, but yeah, there's 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 several people obviously gotcha. who are part of that. But but yeah, so you know, they, she kind of said, you know, hey, it was one of those things. We went down there and visited the uh, 
you know, the, the facilities are top notch. There's just a lot of things that, um, you know, that are definitely intriguing. And, and I think part of this too, and maybe, um, you know, it was sort of at the beginning when they first started this, it was like they were competing, you know, with, with, uh, colleges for kids, you know, they were offering, you know, it was said to be a hundred thousand dollar contracts. And, you know, it was sort of like an option of, you know, you either do this or, or you go to college, but now with NIL, you know, some of these kids, including Cannon, will go there uh, and maintain their college eligibility. And you, you have NIL opportunities, obviously. So you can kind of go there sort of on scholarship uh, to go there. And then, you know, you can earn you can earn name, image, likeness, uh, but also maintain your college. So now, you know, the colleges are kind of recruiting out of overtime elite. So it's not necessarily a competition uh, between the two, but it's more of a it's more of sort of what you would think of as a prep school uh, situation. So, you know, and it's not just that. I know, uh, you know, she said that, you know, it, part of this is that, you know, it kind of felt like, you know, maybe the traditional school has been a little bit harder for him, um, you know, and this may be a better avenue for him to kind of prepare himself for Purdue and then beyond, uh, hopefully, uh, which I think he's definitely a, an NBA talent. I, I, you know, he's he's just such a great offensive player, uh, things you just can't teach. And uh, obviously he's got the uh, bloodlines as well. Uh not only with his mom, but his aunt, obviously Tamika. So, and his grandpa, uh, Harvey, who yeah. played in the NBA. So, but he's, you know, I, I think that's, it's all kind of, and Brownsburg knew, you know, I talked to Steve Lynch um, about it and he's quoted in there too. And they, they were, you know, kept abreast of the situation. They, they knew sort of the, what was the uh, possibilities of this. And, you know, I don't think it's uh, hard feelings. It's kind of the, like I said, it's the, it's the reality for a lot of these top kids anymore. And, and whether you want to go that route or not, it, you know, but if you look down the list of top kids, if you go to rivals or 24 seven or whatever, uh, you know, most of those kids are at some sort of prep school or not a traditional high school anymore. And, you know, I, I don't love it, you know, cause you, you want to cover the best kids in their, their own high school, but, but I totally get it too. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at your own future and, you know, I'm not sure I wouldn't do the same thing if I was in that position. And uh, overtime elite, by the way, you remember Eamon Thompson, Asar Thompson, Mm -hmm. both went four and five to the Rockets and the Pistons in uh, this uh, last month's NBA draft. So for those of you that don't exactly know what we're talking about, that is it right there. So this at present time and knowing that everything is subject to change now in sports, we know that. But uh, at this present time, is his commitment still uh, going to Purdue to play collegiately again as he stands right now? Yes, uh, I did ask her that, and she said, yeah, that's the plan. And uh, I know a lot of people are wondering about that, but uh, as far as that goes, as far as what she told me, you know, that's that's uh, still the case. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, who knows? You know, it's a, with recruiting, too, it's like a dog gear, sort of. It's like yeah. uh, things change uh, very quickly, and, you know, I know some people were, you know, and it's just, it's one of those things. There's always, there's always rumors and, and whatnot, but, uh, but yeah, she's said that's still the nothing with that has changed because of this decision hey kyle how does this change i mentioned this when i brought you on how does this change the the landscape i know we're far away from the start of basketball season here uh high school wise but how does that change uh the top of the landscape especially in in 4a with Brownsburg losing a player of that level 
That's a great question. I mean, I, obviously it changes uh, Brownsburg's situation, um, you know, when you lose a guy like that. Now they have played, you know, he missed some stuff this summer because of, uh, um, you know, uh, USA basketball and, and, you know, some of the other things that high-profile players are involved with. So they did get a chance to play some without him, I know. And, and they have a, they do have a lot coming. Almost everybody, Elijah Diallo is gone. who was their second-leading scorer last year. So now you lose your top two guys. Uh, but Grant Porath is back. There's a really good, uh, you know, supporting cast. Uh, unfortunately, J.D. Lynch, who uh, Coach Lynch's son, he tore his ACL, so he's on the mend, and they're hoping he'll be back and ready. But uh, dealing with that as well. But, but yeah, they've got a really good, a good group. Um, you know, but yeah, when you lose a top, it'd be like anybody. You know, if, if uh, you know Fisher's lost Jalen Harrelson or whatever. I mean, that those are the type of guys you just uh, you don't you don't replace by any one person. You know, so. Uh, it'll it'll change it for sure. I think I had them, you know, right there, top three uh, in in the uh, in the state going in when I did the kind of the postseason stuff. And uh, I can't imagine, you know, the, the, I don't think they'll fall off completely, but it'll be hard. You know, it'll be much harder, obviously. And and uh, you know, but I think, uh, you know, if you talk to anybody around who's who's coached basketball in the state for a while, they know. You know what kind of job Lynch does in a year year in and year out. So I'm sure they'll figure figure it out. But uh, yeah, you can't you can't just replace a guy like that. You, I mean, Cannon's almost unguardable. You know, so um, you know when his shot's going down, I mean he is he's really really tough and he can get his shot off on anybody. Uh, so, you know, I know, uh, when they went up to Kokomo and played in the holiday tournament, I think he had 39 on the uh, Kokomo and we saw what they did, uh, in the, uh, in their state run. So, so yeah, I mean, it does change. I, I would say, you know, I'd, I'd, uh, Ben Davis, I still think, you know, I think people probably assuming they'll drop off a bit, but I still think they're going to be really good. I saw Lawrence North play this summer quite a bit. They're very good. Fishers is very good. So, you know, it does, you might have to slot them behind them now, but, but uh, we'll see. I mean, there's a long way to go and, and roles change and, you know, it's how those players adapt to those roles that kind of tell the tale once you get to uh, February, March. Again, we live in the moment because everything is subject to change, but as it stands right now, Flory, Kokomo still solidly there. I mean, you hear rumors all the time. You hear more than I do. Certainly mm-hmm. on that level, but Flory Kokomo still good as far as where he's going to play this year is concerned. Yeah, as far as high school, yeah, he's uh, yeah. yeah, he's. I think he's planning on playing soccer. You know that. And that's cool. I love that. I, that's great. Yeah, I, that's great. I saw him the other night, and that's the. Uh, I said, man, are you a what are you are you goalie? They're like, no, I'm a striker. So uh, <laughs> that's I'd love great. To see him play on the on the. Uh, I get I get so sick soccer. and tired of the the whole specialized one sport crap. It. I mean, I do. I know what you. Well, you that means you're not very good. If you well, whatever. I mean, I I like, I like the fact that you know you get the multi-sport playing because that's what max clark did at franklin too right i mean he was yeah, a multi-sport yeah. player as well i just and, and still ended up third overall selection going to detroit in in this week's major league baseball amateur draft i just love that i love it yeah and, and like I, I think i told you before like those people in franklin will always i think you know, obviously they remember him first as a great baseball player but I, I guarantee a lot of his football teammates appreciate the fact that he he played football his senior year, and and I doubt there's many guys drafted in the third round of, of any draft <laughs> yeah. who are going to do that. But uh, but I, you know I, it's super cool that he did, and I think that'll always uh, his community and school will always appreciate that about him. 
Kyle, before I let you go, we're not too far away from the start of the high school football season here. I mean, you got workouts going on. Everybody's getting into gear. My uh, friend across the road, Jeff Watson, is an, an official. Uh, and I know he's doing a lot of uh, you know practice games and scrimmages and such right now to get all these teams prepared. So wh- where are we going? Where do we start at the top of the list as of right now before the season is underway with the best teams in Indiana and football? Well, have you heard of a guy named Derek Moore? Yeah. He has a pretty good team. I think I've uh, heard of him before, yeah. <laughs> and I think You're not going to see much there. of him around. You're going to see him at different places. they got four four in-state schools on their schedule. That's it. That's weird. Yeah, that's to- that's very weird. And, it's, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous is what it is, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. And uh, they're going to be the team to beat. And, you know, that, this is pretty rare territory they're in right now, going for four straight at that level of football. It's it's similar to the Warren Central run of uh, 03 to 06. And, uh, you know, last year might have been the year to get them because I don't know if they're going to be fall off much uh, from that from that team. And, uh, you know, but I think there's other teams like, uh, you know, Ben Davis is going to be very good. You know, they're, they're playing a interesting game this year with IMG Academy too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you have to start with center Grove obviously and what they've got coming back with, you know, Tyler Cherry and Noah Coy and, and Owen Bright and those guys. So, uh, that's kind of where you start. And then I think you kind of work your way, you work your way through. And, and I do think Ben Davis is going to be really good. And they, they've got returning quarterback. They've got really good defensive players running back, back, uh, Mark Zachary, of course, in their secondary. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it'll be a lot of the HSC too. I think people, um, you know, last year got a taste of what they, did they were right on the doorstep of making it the state championship and they're they got a lot of guys coming back too so you'll probably start with those those three i would say and then uh some of the the normal contenders will be right there as well yeah so yeah four i believe it is cathedral pike and ln and lc right on cg schedule everybody else is out of state predominantly i think for the state of ohio but yeah, and they started that uh, that that uh, event over in uh, Maslon, Ohio, in, yeah. in the first uh, Saturday there against St. Edward out of, of uh, Cleveland area. Yeah, so yeah. they're very good. Um, so yeah, hopefully, I, I hope this isn't the normal scale. I hope they kind of get back to playing some of these teams they should be playing, in my opinion, and and we get back it, to some of that. But uh, is that yeah, not somewhat wonder. similar? Not not entirely the same here, Kyle. But is that somewhat similar to what Cathedral has been doing for a long time? Though it seems like Cathedral often has played almost as much you know against ohio teams or kentucky teams at times they have indiana teams it hasn't been you know to the point where it's only four with the state of indiana but they've done stuff like this before too right yeah their schedule's typically been sort of like that i would say this is a center grove schedule probably looks a lot like uh cathedrals has been at times you know there's been years where they've played more uh more state teams and more in-state teams but yeah they they typically go to Cincinnati a couple times or they have those teams, St. Xavier or Moeller come here. Uh, so yeah, they've, that's been kind of the norm for them. Uh, the, kind of the difference now is like, you know, Center Grove hasn't played a lot. of. So it's to a certain extent, it's interesting to see how they fare against these schools, but who doesn't want to see, you know, Center Grove and uh, Ben Davis or Center Grove and uh, uh, Carmel, obviously. So those are the games I think people get excited about and, in my opinion, were and not even opinion. I, you know, the the, the fans show out in droves, so obviously yeah. they do they do want to see those games. So I hope at some point those, you know, and I understand there's a lot more than just saying they should, but uh, 
but they should. <laughs> so I yeah, well, I mean, well, listen, the uh, the commissioner of the IHSAA would agree too. Uh, he yeah. may not, he may not be, you know, as as vocal and you know, boisterous at times as as we can be about it. But yeah, I mean, come on now, <laughs> come on. Yeah, just yeah, all you pretty just hope, silly. Uh, you hope it happens in the future. That's all you can really. I mean, I think some of the some of the feelings, you know, will, will subside, and and hopefully you know, those games get back on the schedule for the sake of you know the. Because that's what people want to see. You know, I think that's basically what it. Comes yeah, then that's stuff that happened on the basketball floor. And I, listen, I'm I'm not suggesting that nobody was in the wrong whatsoever. And I'm not trying to minimize it, but I'm also not going to maximize it in this case. Crap like that happened in Greene County after every game. That was like a Tuesday night. <laughs> that was encouraging, Greene County, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you stick your you stick your head out of the bus window going through Bloomfield after a game. You're going to hit hit right a rock. So that's is what happened. So yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's hopefully uh, hopefully those feelings subside and and you get back to just playing the game. I've heard from you know kids on both sides who are like you know we an alumni of of those places sure. who schools who like yeah hey, we we those are the games we we look forward to you know so. You know, you know how they feel about it. All right, man. I appreciate you jumping on here. Good stuff too with the uh, the dizzy runs and the Ken catching story. And we'll see where all all that goes as well. And uh, stay at it. Maybe get a little bit of rest because your world is about to be turned upside down in less than a month. So be ready. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate you having me on, John. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, not too much time between now and the start of Colts camp, and then obviously not too far away, for example, uh, from the Hall of Fame game as uh, preseason NFL will fire up certainly then. Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59, he does join us. I want to start right here. Uh, this was with McAfee earlier this week with um, – um, with uh, Jim Irsay. And the reason why I bring this up is because we've had this conversation a number of times. Um, I know where you're going. With with, with <laughs> Shaquille Leonard. Yep. In, in terms of looking for anything that is positive, you come away with the, really a very simple Jim Irsay quote as not finding it a couple of days ago, correct? It's no different than what we got from Shane Steichen during OTAs. And I, I just, we've talked about this. Hey, I hope he's out there, what is it, uh, the 25th or 26th when they practice for the first time. I hope he's out there and he's and he's throwing us the bird because he's ready to play and he's tired of the haters. But doggone, until he's out there, you're concerned. You should be concerned. And I didn't think the owner gave you any reason to say, you know, I think things are going in a pretty good direction. Do you think that that is calculated? Compared to how we've been led in the past, and it's essentially, obviously, with Andrew Luck blown up in their face, do you think it's more of a, a calculated answer, or is it ultimately the fact that they just don't know? Yeah, and that's if, don't you think with two weeks before camp or whatever, you should know? Yes, you should. Uh, and if, if you know that he's going to be ready because you know he's doing everything and all this, then that's what you say. You just say, yeah, hey, we're not going to push it, you know, but he's ready to practice. And, you know, that's progress. You know, that's tangible progress. To not have, to not have that, it just, it just continues to fuel the concern and the skepticism over a guy who played 70-some snaps last year and none at his level. So I, I, we're going to talk to uh, 
Chris Ballard the day before camp opens, whatever that Tuesday is, the 25th or whatever it is, I, I my expectations are low, are low. I just and I'm not going to be shocked if he if Shaq opens up camp on pup again, you know, just because he's not quite ready and and all that and that that's there's no way a team can spin that that's a good thing. Uh, looking at a calendar, it'll be like nine months from the second surgery. And everybody agrees, I mean, the team and Shaq and everybody, that, that, they, that they pushed it too much last time. I think, he, I think he was back on the practice field in some level three months after surgery. And everybody says it was wrong. Well, this is nine months. And I, I just – this isn't like we have a track record of to, something to compare this with. We don't. And with the, and with you know we can't compare it to the last time because that that was it didn't work and it was wrong. So I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. And we've given Shaq a lot of ammunition now to say, yeah, you bunch of haters, you know what you're talking about, and that's fine. That hey, if that makes him better, makes him all pro, good for him. It, it's just that when you still get these ambiguous, well, you know, he's making progress and he's working hard. All these guys are working hard for crying out loud. It's, it's their job. <laughs> but uh, that's like whenever you, when, when a team goes out and plays, and well, the energy was there. And was, well, no, no crap. That's your, you know. I, I hope when you go into work, most of the time, the effort is there. Now, sometimes you're probably tanking it, but doggone, I, I just don't get good vibes because the team isn't providing any. And come when camp opens. We're, we're going to know either he's really making progress and he's on the right track, which to me means he's at least practicing. Maybe it's every other day. Maybe it's every other drill, but he's practicing. But if, if he opens up on Pup, I, w- w- why would you expect him to be ready for the season or to be much of a factor early in the season? You, you shouldn't. No, I I agree. I happen to think that we're being we're being told without being told, Mike. If that makes sense, and and, and people are going to point the finger at me for being negative. Oh, you're just always negative. No, I mean that's just. I don't know how you re- you really read this any other way presently. Uh, it, 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 to me, again, I, I understand how teams, maybe this one especially, you have been burned in the past by yeah, he's making progress, and we expect him ready for camp and this, that, and the other, and then it doesn't happen if we say, wait, wait a minute. You said he was going to be ready. So that's why they hedge their bets. This is different. This is just different. Uh, I just have to believe that two weeks out from camp, they know. They know they've got a pretty good idea that, yes, he's going to be ready, or no, he needs more time. And that's fine if you need more time. But I just don't know if you need more time after nine months. I don't know why anyone should anticipate him being much of a factor early in the season. And the longer it goes, I, you know, it, it's I, we're talking about a guy's career, so it, it, it's sort of careful ground. But we're talking football. You know, we're not talking his life, his life, and how's he going to be as a dad and all this. We're talking football. And at some point, 
you have to wonder, will he, can he get back to where he was? You know, the all-pro and the tackles and the interceptions and the takeaways. And in football terms, you need him to be back because he is that good. But the longer it goes to where you're getting nothing concrete from the team, and we'll really know come come Grand uh, Grand Park in, in a couple of weeks. We'll know by by whether he's whether he's practicing or not. We'll we'll know what to expect the first part of the year. I really believe that. So Mike Chappell of CBS Four and Fox Fifty Nine. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So what do you got in your mind, hard target wise? for an extension of whatever sort it's going to end up being for running back Jonathan Taylor? What do you got oh, date-wise? That's, that's a good question. And I don't know. I saw something, you know, three weeks into camp. I mean, you either agree to term. You, you can agree to where you need to be or you can't. I saw something where that the, that the Giants with Barkley, well, it's, it's one side wants to give 13 and one side wants 16. And I'm kind of guessing that's where the Colts and Taylor are. The Colts would love to give him that Nick Chubb three years, $36.6 million. And I, if I'm the team, I'm not giving that in a minute. And he's probably wanting closer to the $15, 16000000 million a year, which that's, that, that's what he should want. You know, we, we've said it, he's their best player. I, I, you can argue different guys. I think he's their best player. He might be their most valuable player in terms of, of, of helping either Richardson or Minshew not have to do too much too early. Uh, but, you know, it's that old running back thing, and I would be fine giving him a contract worth $14, 15000000 million. That's really, in, in real money, a two-year deal. You can add a couple years to make the numbers look really cool for an agent and all this stuff, but you know, as we've talked, if he if he plays this year, it's four million. Franchise him, it's probably I don't know, twelve million next year, and then franchise again, it's fourteen. So roughly, you're talking twenty eight million dollars for three years, guaranteed, guaranteed. So I don't know, and, and as we've talked, and I still believe, you get it done because it needs to get done. He's your best player. You have always always rewarded your own who, who have been productive, who've been, you know, contributors off the field. He's done it the right way. And, yeah, you're going to overpay because running backs aren't worth on the market $14, 15000000 million. But you always overpay for your own. They overpaid for Shaq. They overpaid for Braden Smith. You overpay for your own. So I, I just think it makes sense. Unless Taylor's asking for really, you know, three years guaranteed, which I don't know that I would do that because there is a shorter life for a running back that it just gets done because it it, it makes no sense not to get done to, to mangle the grammar. Well, I mean, and to me, I I prioritized it. I don't care what anybody says about the overall value of that position around the NFL uh, with yeah. the quarterback that you want to start in week number one, which clearly Jim Irsay does. From that yeah. conversation with Pat two days ago, you, it is essential you have Jonathan Taylor as a part of this because the quarterback, this well, offense, that have, team needs him. They need that support. But you're going to have him either way. 
he's not going to sit out because he's under contract. I mean, you're going no, to. I, I, I understand that, but I, I think you need it longer than just you well, know the initial season here. I agree, and, and and you know to go back to compare a little bit, Peyton Manning always insisted that, that Edron James was the most important part of that offense. Now they had some great pieces around him, so it's, it's different. But whether it's Richardson, which I, unless Richardson proves he's not ready, yeah. I think he should start. Or Minshew, that running game, if the offensive line can get back to where it needs to be, it, they're going to run the ball regardless of who the quarterback is. And of course, Richardson will give you another dimension to the run game. But yeah, I just think it, it on the market, the market says that the running back's not worth that now. But in, in Indy, he is. And he, he has shown that he had a run for 1,200 yards last year if the lineup played better, even, even with the bum ankle. So he, he's still relatively young. He, he, he's, he, he's that important. You get it done. Unless he's asking for something ridiculous, you just get it done. No doubt about that. What other storylines as we get ready to tackle the start of training camp up at Grand Park in, in Westfield are you looking out for besides those two obvious ones? And obviously the one of uh, the transition with the inexperience of the rookie quarterback and what we hope and the owner hopes is a week one start. Offensive line. <laughs> I mean, period. You know, what, what else matters? In, in the non-quarterback category, it's all about the offensive line. You know, look what it did last year when it when it played so poorly, certainly early, and then it kind of got better, but by then it didn't matter. And they did virtually nothing to, to, to improve the line other than getting a new line coach, which maybe means maybe, maybe they think that means a ton. But if the offensive line plays okay, nothing great, just plays okay, and is middle of the pack, you hope better, but middle of the pack, the running game will work, Protection will be good enough, and the quarterback can function, and the running back can function. Jonathan Taylor is good enough that just give him a good line, not top five, but a good line, and he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna win games for you. So, and the problem is, we're not gonna know. I don't think the first two three weeks in training camp whether the line's any good or not. Probably not until the Bears come in for those joint workouts. Maybe the, the first preseason game with Buffalo, I guess it is. But I, I think if the offensive line works, this team will be competitive and things will work. If it doesn't, I just don't see how they they. I don't see how they're really really competitive. And boy, a top pick in next a, a top two or three pick in next year's draft would certainly be reachable. I'm trying to know if they do transform back into a much better workable group than they were a year ago where are we going to place blame first about last year chris strasser matt ryan just the entire messed up situation in general because i mean it seems like a lot does it not mike to ask for that group that played at that level a year ago to be transformed because of a a rookie quarterback and his athleticism and you know just just some hope mixed in there is that a lot to ask I just don't see how you can read it any other way than the problem with Chris Strasser. I, I don't. I don't know how you, you read it because they bring they bring the their starting route back intact, and the couple of the backups are back. They let a couple guys go, which they should have, 
but then they had two uh, two rookies. So it, it's like they're telling the new guy, okay, here you go, you know, make this work. And I, I think that's risky. I, I would have signed a, a veteran guy. And I, there's still, I think, a really good chance that when cuts are made in late August that there's probably two or three players that will make the roster in, in the 53 that won't be here to start a camp because you always find guys – you know, that are better than what you got. Although people don't get rid of good offensive linemen. You just don't. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you, you, you say, well, it, was, it, it wasn't Chris Strasser. Well, it, it was it was because you brought everybody else back. Uh, so, you know, ho- hopefully it works. If it does, I, I think there's enough, there, there are enough pieces, receivers, not good, not great, running back, great. Tight ends, good, certainly not great, but young. And then the defense, I I don't mean this as a shot at Gus Bradley. I don't care. I don't care about the defense. I just don't. This is all to me about the offense and growing, growing together. And the defense, you know, obviously get out there and, and be as good as you can be. But all the moves you make – and the focus really needs to be – and that's why Jonathan Taylor is so important and Michael Pittman. We've not even talked about him. Yeah, who's going to be the most disappointed with their extension, you think, in this case? Is it going to be Jonathan Taylor or Michael Pittman Jr., or will both be happy, both be sad? What's going to happen? I don't know. I just can't see them giving Michael Pittman market money for a number one receiver. I just, I just don't. I you know I think he's a really good receiver, but I don't think he's a one. I mean, now last year he had no chance because the offense was so god awful. But I I think in in Michael Pittman's mind, he wouldn't mind hitting the open market. I think he he thinks, and he's probably right, that somebody's going to pay him more in the open market than the Colts will. I just we've talked about this how how to a great degree Chris Ballard has shown his commitment to the position. You know, now he's, he's done, is it three or four second-round picks, which is which is doing something. But as far as reinvesting in that guy, he didn't even re-sign Paris Campbell, for crying out loud, for as little as Paris Campbell got. So I, I, I think Michael Pittman won't be – overly PO'd if he doesn't get one, because I think Michael Pittman thinks he's going to hit it really big on the open market. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they re-sign him, because it makes more sense to reinvest longer term in a top receiver than a running back, but then to flip it around, your running back is better than your wide receiver. So they've got their, they've got work to do. And I, they know what they want to do. They know what they're going to do. Uh, I I will be surprised. They need to get Taylor done. I'll be surprised if they get Pittman done. I really will. I I here's my situation. I agree with you on how you describe Michael Pittman Jr., but I can't spend the better part of what six seven years whining and crying about wide receivers and then watch them just let somebody hopefully go off to greener pastures. At least for him individually, I I, I don't I, I can't sit here and do that. I mean, I, I, th- I, I, you know, and I understand where if he's going to want too much money, you got to let him go. 
it's just that's just a bad look, I think, for all of us if they feel that necessary. If Pittman thinks he's that overvalued and organizationally, Chris Ballard and company believe has not worth it. That's a bad look for everybody. Well, but I tell you, I think if if they don't resign Pitt, and I hope they do. I like the kid. He, he, he's good to work with. He's, I think he's a good player. I just don't know that he's twenty four, twenty five million good player. But I think if they re-sign Taylor, they don't sign Pitt, and he plays on his rookie deal, which I don't, I'm guessing it's three or four million. I, I haven't looked at it. And then he goes for agency and gets that big contract. I really don't think we're going to sit here and say, "Man, I can't." The Colts should have done that because I think we all real. You're right about what if they don't have the what if they don't have the options though? We won't if they have other options, other significant, maybe even surprising options, productive options for help. But if they don't, that's the bad luck. The, the problem's going to be is he'll hit free agency before you have your options. So next year, he'll be a free agent before you know. Well, yeah, we let him go, but we're bringing in this guy and if you think you can sign a free agent to replace michael pittman you're going to over you're going to overpay for that you're going to so you're going to pay 27 million for a free agent they've not signed three receivers free receivers for 20 million dollars combined so it's a difficult situation when you hit on your draft picks you really hit on them these guys are quality players so and then it comes time to resign them and that, that's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. And they're, these both are very unique. I think Pittman even more so, because, again, I, it makes too much sense to re-sign Taylor. Pittman is just different because I, I, I don't know who considers him a bona fide one besides Pitt and guys close to him, and he should. But I don't know how many people who cover this team and have followed Pitt and what they do say, yeah, I can really argue that he's worth $22, 23000000 million a year. I just – and that's going to come out as a negative on Pittman, and I don't mean it to be. He's trying to be realistic. But I think we'll all be more nodding in approval if they don't extend Pitt. But then, like you said, then you got to replace him because then you got Alec Pierce – and Josh Downs and what Ashton Doolin again? I mean and Isaiah McKenzie, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> Who knows? Okay, yeah. I know you know I what I mean. I, so yeah, I, I had to mention him. Reason. Yeah, he's got experience. So yeah, right. But but again, when you don't resign him, it creates right. the hole of got you've got to bring in another guy. You know, maybe they're long term thinking. They're looking at Marvin Junior. You know, what which is I'm half joking, but maybe not. So it's easy not to resign guys at the top of your depth chart. It's really hard to replace them. I guess I look at it this way. If if you're willing to blame the offensive line, which I don't know if that is the tact they're taking, but if you're willing to blame the offensive line woes a year ago you know, on, on the quarterback starting right there, and maybe all the other outside influences that were going on, whatever. But are you equally as willing to blame the lack of so-called creating space, windows, and production from Michael Pittman Jr. on what took place a year ago and blame it on Matt Ryan as everything normally is going to be moving forward? Which which one are you more to blame it on? The subpar type of seasons and the question marks we have about not just the offensive line positions in general, but Michael Pittman Jr. moving forward as wide receiver. 
I, I thought most of last season with Pittman was was offense related. No protection. The quarterback couldn't move, and then the quarterback's arm was shot. But he was also. I mean, I was talking to some guys with the team, and, and they weren't real happy with his separation and being able to get open. So it, 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 there's a combination there. But I, I, I place that more on how how dysfunctional the offense was. Like I said, it is really, really hard to catch 99 passes and not get 1,000 yards. It really is. Uh, they, they turn that into a dink and dunk, and, and maybe he could have done more. Probably he could have done more. But I thought the entire receiving core, the, the tight ends, were so handicapped by the quarterback slash offensive line slash offense. So it's it's to some degree it's really hard to evaluate Michael Pittman last year. It really is. Maybe they you know what, what, maybe he comes out this year and has ninety catches for twelve hundred yards. I don't know. And ten touchdowns. But to this point, he's not been able he's either not shown you or been able to show you what you need to see to say, yeah, this guy deserves five years, ninety million, or whatever, whatever the math is. So I don't know. It, it's tough. I'm sure they've yeah. had these talks. Shane Steichen's got the new set of eyes on these guys. You know, Chris Ballard really, really likes JT and, and Pitt and some of these guys. Maybe Shane Steichen says, "Yeah, I've seen better." Not with Taylor. Not with Taylor, but with Pitt. So maybe that's one reason the Paris Campbell's not back is Shane Steichen thought, yeah, he, he's a good player, but but we can replace him easily. And they went on and got McKenzie. So, uh, but it's and they're going to tell us what they think by their actions. They will with re-signing Taylor or not, or extending Pittman or not, and all that. And there is it's going to be so interesting to watch how things develop. And we've not even talked much today about the quarterback situation and how they handle that. So it's going to be a really interesting 13 practices up at Grant Park. Really quick in closing here, uh, completely off the page. We haven't heard from him. Uh, We don't know if we are going to hear from him. I doubt if we hear from him. But if there's anybody around here that could get five or ten minutes with Jeff Saturday, I would suggest it could be you. Have you tried? And might we ever get the rest of the story here about what all went down last year, or is he going to save all this because he so cares, obviously, about his, his image, certainly as a player as it stands here? I've not tried to get him because I just – I don't know why I have that, 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 that That's a cop. I have not uh, – I first of all, I just don't know what he would say, and I don't know how much of what he would say – I would believe in face value. Uh, I didn't like the way things ended last year and how there wasn't a lot of accountability with a, with a lot of people. And uh, so I know maybe maybe his interview comes when he's hired back at ESPN, which is firing everybody. So I don't know. And maybe it's smart that he doesn't talk because of his how he's his loyalty to the team. And to me, I don't know how he gives a, a realistic account without ripping the franchise to some level. 
you know, it, there was so much blame to go around, including himself. So I don't know. It, 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 it's interesting. We've talked in the press room about him, him, him not being out there at all. And he was always, you know, KB would have him on all the time in the morning. And, right. And I'd talk to him a lot of times. When I, this is pre, you know, interim coach time. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe somebody will have more of a desire. I just don't know how much he would give, and I'm not sure how much he would give. I could I – could Well, I, I guarantee you that he would like to tell some people, some of those that you know, put together and then sign the petition where to go. But at the same well, time, I, you believe that he certainly would like to preserve his legacy as a player, ring of and, honor and, and, guy right now. So, And he's talked to a few media guys here and let them know that he didn't appreciate how he was a convenient dumping ground. Things well, but, but he, he was here on coach for crying out loud. Yeah, it comes with the territory. Yeah, exactly. So, it, yeah, it's, maybe somebody gets him, uh, but I, I just I, I would need to be able to see both sides and how he accepted his role in what was an absolute circus the last six weeks or so. I mean, 33 to nothing for crying out loud, 33 to nothing. <laughs> so I don't know, uh, and it'll be interesting to read if someone ever pins him down. So Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon as the clock is ticking for the start of Colts camp. And uh, Mike, as always, every Thursday right here. I appreciate you. Have a great weekend. I'll catch you next week.